Hey everyone, and welcome to the O Studio podcast, where we delve into the art of feeling better. My name is Tim Bateman, founder of O Studio, a New Zealand wellness franchise that's here to help you relax, recover, and improve your health and well-being. Because this is episode one of the podcast, we thought the best way to start off was to flip the interview around to share with you the O Studio origin story. I hope you enjoy. Tim, welcome to the very first O Studio podcast. Thanks very much, mate. Great to be here. Well, it's kind of weird, right? Flipping it back around on you, but I guess we wanted this episode to be the origin story of O Studio, and there's probably no one better to tell that than you. So I'll take the privilege of uh, of interviewing you for this one. And I guess if we're going to talk about O Studio, um, you know, that came at you know a later. How old were you when O Studio sort of came around? So it's been four years now, so how old am I? I'm 36, so yeah, about 32 years old. Cool. All right, well, maybe we start this by sort of what do we need to understand about you and your life pre-O Studio that led to where O Studio is now? Yeah, wow. Um, Yeah, there's a lot, I I guess. Um, O Studio has has come off the back of a huge amount of uh, learnings, mistakes, good things, you know, challenges, just the whole lot, I, I guess, and... I suppose uh, probably a good place to start would be rugby. Uh, so professional rugby was my sort of um, career, uh, 17 years in professional rugby. So um, we're in high, I was in a high-performance environment for long, long periods of time, you know, and, and the margins of success are so small that you're always trying to find ways um, to, to, to improve areas of your game or as an individual and as a team. And I suppose... Um, a lot of it in my early career was on physical stuff, you know, being stronger, being faster, being fitter than the opposition. The reality is, you know, everyone's pretty consistent um, or pretty, um, you know, you don't change much one week to the next in terms of speed or power or strength. Over over years, you can obviously make big improvements, but, um, you know, so it's always trying to find those smaller margins of opportunity for improvement. And really what that came to for me was the whole other side, this whole sort of mental, emotional um, wellness side um, that was being impacted off the field um, through a few things we can get into later, I guess. But um, and, and just realizing that when I wasn't feeling good, I wasn't able to perform regardless of how, of how, how I was performing physically. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. That's probably quite unique as well, right? Because I would say everyone's probably the same, but as a professional athlete, you're measured by, your performance is measured each week, right? Exactly, exactly. And you can see it. It's, it's, like, it's, um, it's like a magnifying glass on, on your performance. You know, you know how many how many meters per second you've covered, um, you know, mm. for every acceleration, your top speed, you know, how many times you've been involved in a tackle on your left shoulder, right shoulder. So you can really see really closely when you weren't quite there, when you weren't quite in the game. And yeah. being in the game in professional rugby is obviously so important and yeah. that's mental. It's not about physical really. Yeah, so what, what, did, what did you notice, things that were affecting you both positively and negatively on the field or your performance in general? Yeah, so... I guess it's it's hard to explain, um, but uh, everyone will be able to relate to just not feeling right. Something just doesn't feel quite right. You know, your confidence levels are down a little bit, your energy levels are down a little bit, distracted, um, just feeling not grounded, not settled, not and therefore not able to perform. And the the reason I say everyone can relate to that because, you know, performance for me was rugby. But really, it's performance for someone else might be in their job. It might be as a father, as a as a husband. You know, um, performance is a word that's you know easily thrown around. But just being your best, you know, to be mm. the best dad you can be, you've got to be able to feel good. You know, and so for me, what that looked like was you know stressing out on the field. You know, looking around at the, my teammates, and thinking, Jesus, these guys must be thinking we need to get Tim off the field as fast as possible. He is just an absolute handbrake in here. And you know, that was all just stuff that was going on in my own head. I'm sure maybe there was a few players that thought about thought that a few times and there was a few coaches in the stands thinking that but just feeling like I was beating myself up a lot um and I couldn't really put a finger on it for a long time I was like why am I feeling like this um but really um there was a lot of stuff that was going on at home that was impacting things Mm -hmm. and so I think if you're happy to get into it we should talk about that because I know that's played a big part in your life yeah it it has um and uh, yeah so I mean so my wife has multiple sclerosis um I suppose rewind even further back we had kids really young so we had kids Laura and I together when we were 15 years old um so you know we were that sort of (laughs) high school sweethearts um and um you know, we had kids when we were 19. And so, you know, straight out of school into 
you know, a reasonably high stress environment. I was with the Crusaders for my first year out of school. I had our first daughter, Shyla. I was studying law full time at Canterbury University. I was sort of in the deep end in all aspects of my life. <clears throat> and so um, that was, you know, so I'm pretty used to challenges, I think. I'm pretty used to pushing myself hard. Um, and that, that this was no different. Laura was diagnosed when our girls were three and one, um, and it was ma- a massive challenge. Um, you know, she went from, you know, being able to, I, I'd be too scared to go running with her because I couldn't keep up to, she couldn't run 200 metres, you know. She lost control of, you know, um, bl- bladder and bowel things and, um, you know, vision, you know, strength in one, in one side of her body. Um, like, so just huge stuff that impacted her physical health. Um, she'd be just absolutely exhausted all the time. Um, I remember one morning, you know, she'd slept all night <clears throat> and woke up. We got the girls off to school, uh, went off to training, came home, and she'd just, she'd been sleeping all day again and just, it's just like far out, you know. Um, we didn't know what it was for a long time. The diagnosis coming helped. You know, knowing that they're okay, there is a name for this. This is this is what it is, and um, but yeah, you overlay her health with my performance on the field, and it's like a mirror. When she wasn't doing well, I wasn't performing well, and it wasn't because I was thinking about Laura on the field. It was just all the stuff that was going inside me that you can't see um, that was impacting performance. Yeah, and that's interesting. And then so, you know, how do you start to figure out? solve that because that's a problem you know as I probably call it obviously there's there's Laura's health problems and we're, we're trying to solve that in one part of it but at the same time you know how do you keep yourself operating performing doing a job being able to earn money you know look after the girls you know support her you know that's got to be uh, you know a challenge you're trying to solve at the same time yeah I'd love to say that I, I navigated that challenge well um the reality is I didn't for a lot for uh, a lot of times um I still remember one time one pre-season at the hurricanes and we'd been on this um sort of military camp sort of would train we literally turned up at training at three o'clock we didn't know what was happening and the army were there and we trained all through the night ended up carrying all this gear all the way out to um, Trentham um and you know, we finished activity when sunlight, um, and then we had about two hours sleep when we were up. Um, and the next, so we had about two hours sleep from about eight o'clock till ten o'clock that next day, um, and then um, into sort of feedback exercises, you know, and people giving you feedback on the things that they think you should be doing differently and the things that you do well. And I was in this group of about fifteen guys, you know, rugby players and coaches. And they were giving me all this positive feedback. And I just broke down. I literally just was just, I bawled my eyes out. It was, it was so embarrassing. I started, even thinking about it now, it makes me feel a little bit like, Jesus, what was I? What was I? But I was obviously just so broken. It was at the height, really, of when Laura's health was at its worst and I was struggling the most. And one thing that sort of really got me was, you know, I, I realized there was a lot of people that supported me and had my back. And, I sort of carried all that burden by myself. I was trying to carry it by myself and trying to, you know, I thought no one, no one noticed, but they obviously did notice that I was being impacted quite severely. And so, um, yeah, the question is, you know, how do you navigate that or what do you, how do you try and solve those problems? I mean, I, I didn't navigate it that well for the first few years. Um, in terms of her health alone, we, we actually, we couldn't get the treatment that she needed here in New Zealand. So she went to Singapore and we all went over there. I was, we were going, I was going back and forth with the girls from Japan and Laura's family came to Singapore to help her. She was in hospital up there for about, it uh, must have been four months or something like that, in isolation for about a month and she had a stem cell transplant <clears throat> and that was massive for her. Um, they sort of said to her, if she goes two years without relapsing post-transplant, she may never relapse again and it's been about eight years now she hasn't relapsed since the transplant so that's huge for us you know she's still got the last the damage from the stuff that was done previously but she's a hundred times better than mm. where she would have been if she hadn't gone through that and ironically it's where we found flotation therapy which is a, a big part of what O studio was mm-hmm. so d- how did that come about well it was actually the doctors in um, raffles hospital in singapore said you know, this would be a cool thing for you guys to do to manage the stress. Um, they were saying it to both me and, and Laura. And so flotation therapy is, is is pretty much, it's the absence of everything, as much as you can. So they call it rest therapy, restricted environmental stimulation therapy. Some people call it sensory deprivation. That's probably where people have heard of it before. But um, 
you know, you go back 20, 30, 40 years, there were these old school tanks that you sort of climbed into and it's highly salinate, salinated water, so very dense, so you could sort of float on top of the water. Um, nowadays, the cabins and pods are, are different um, than that and they're a lot more um, appealing. Mm-hmm. So they recommended that to us to help just manage the stress of what Laura was going through physically and mentally and what I was going through mentally. And we didn't think too much of it. Like, it sounds quite cool. Um, a couple of days later, we were at a cafe and there was a little brochure that had, um, it was called Palm Ave, Palm Ave Float Club in Singapore. And we're like, oh, mate, we've got to just give this a crack. It looks quite cool. Um, we went along to this little place in Singapore. Laura went off into her pod room. I went off into my pod room. They do a little intro at the start. And I just had the most incredible experience ever. Like, it was just, I was... Um, you know, music plays at the start and you turn the, you can leave the button, the light on if you want to. I turn the light off. And so it's complete darkness, complete weightlessness, complete silence. And when you're still, the water in the air sort of becomes the same temperature as your skin. So you literally feel like, feel like you're floating in nothing. And so after, you know, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the pod, your body sort of sinks into this really deep relaxation. And um, I fell asleep in there on top, floating on top of the water. And I woke up, the music was playing. And I was just like, what the hell had gone on there? And I had this really vivid dream going back to my family home on the West Coast, sort of walking around outside. And I was just like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever done. I couldn't wait to see Laura out in reception and talk to her about it. And she'd had the opposite experience. She'd got like <laughs> salt in her eyes, was too scared to push the wrong button because she was naked in her room. She thought they may be coming in. And she was just like, I've got to get out of here. Uh, managed to get her back a few days later. And at about the fourth float for her, it was just huge. You know, like, as I mentioned before, MS is, it's like you've got all this pressure coming on the nervous system. So being in an environment, you've got no pressure coming in, just complete relaxation. It would just be a huge form of recovery. So that was our first sort of step into anything like this, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so for you personally, like, you know, did you go in, you know, you obviously had a good experience, but did it change anything for you, that, that first float, other than, you know, being overwhelmed? Like, did you walk in feeling stressed and walk out feeling great? Or were you just like, hey, I think there's something in this? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, and so this is not a very nice description, but what it told me was there is, you've got so much more potential in, in the mind, I guess. Like the best way I can describe it is like, I felt like I lost the sensation of my body and it was I was just a, a mind or a brain just in nothingness. And it sort of, it made me just so interested in what, what can you do in that state, you know? And, and how can you how can you manipulate the mind or change the mind to be less stressed or to, to improve? What, what is visualization? What is meditation? There was all these sort of words that you'd hear coming up and, and how do you develop these areas? And floating for me was like, it felt like it was a shortcut to that. It felt like I could get in there, lose the physical sensations of everything and just just be completely internal. Mm-hmm. Like when you, there's nothing external to sort of take your attention away. You've only got yourself, and so um, it felt like a. What it sort of said to me is like, this is an opportunity. There's a training ground here for my mind, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what it turned into really for the next sort of four or five years of rugby. Because it sounds a bit woo woo, doesn't it? When it does. you talk like that, you know, yeah. like, and you start throwing some of those words around, and especially in a, you know, not that I was in a professional rugby environment, but you start talking about meditation and visualization, and you know, um, you're not trying to negate all your senses, but obviously there was something there that you'd figured out, and so. What was the next step? Um, so the next step really was, um, so we kept on doing it up in Singapore um, and then we went back to Japan and just happened to be a float centre about 20 minutes down the road. It was a Kiwi couple. Um, I know, I know. It's, he was a rugby player. He was playing in Japan as well and his wife had started this float centre up there and there was nothing like that anywhere else really in Japan at the time either. So it was just literally incredible like serendipitous that it was there so I carried on doing it up in Japan and and I was using it for visualization and and sort of relaxation meditation <clears throat> and so I'd go in there with like um I'd have like a it started off as a book and then it turned into video and stuff of my my like watching myself do things well and so you know great tackles great passes you know scoring tries a bit of a self highlight package and I'd watch that for sort of five or ten minutes before going in. And then my thoughts would just be just going over and over myself, these moments of perfection. And and 
I don't really know what it does, you know, like in terms of the science, but I just feel I just through that period I felt so confident, you know, I felt like I was, um, you know, I was practicing, I was training in my mind these moments of perfection and I've, I've, I've learned since then like what is actually going on in the brain. Um, but when, when you're doing that, you sort of, these parts of your nervous system don't even know that you're not doing it physically. It's like it's it's you're actually doing it uh, as far as your brain's concerned. So felt a lot better. It was great for Laura and we were like, look, this is fantastic. We're going back to New Zealand and we've got to have one at home. So we were looking at options to buy a float pod for ha- the house. And then Laura's like, no, we've got to, we should do a business. This is something we should, I was like, no, we can't do it. It was her idea. It was her idea, yeah. <laughs> it was more than just her. She was like, we are doing this. Wow. Like, And she had this sort of massive high post-transplant as well where she was just like, felt like she had a new lease on life. So she was like, we're doing this. And I was like, are we? We're doing this. <laughs> uh, far out. Um, and so I'd never seen her so, so focused on something as well. And her father was like a massive advocate for like, she'd like this is what she really wants to do. We've got, you know, we've got to do this with her. And and um, so she was the big driver and um, behind getting Cloud9 Float Club, which is still um, here in Christchurch, up and going and, we had no idea what we were doing, but we had really good people around us. We had a great business coach called Carl Warantini who sort of took us through all the structures of business and, um, you know, we were a little bit naive as to what was going to happen when we opened the doors. Um, like when we opened the doors, we could do 126 floats total. That would be like back to back from 8 in the morning till 10 at night, seven days a week. We were open. That's what our opening hours were. It's just me and Laura working. And... Um, so we like we may get like three in the first day, maybe five in the second day, something like that, mm. is op- optimistically. So we we had brought thirty towels and bath mats and face cloths and stuff, and we just had a washing machine and dry. We were just going to do those on site. Um, the first week we had one hundred and twenty people book out of one hundred and twenty six. Wow. And it was just like, you know, we had, you know, my mum and dad and Laura's mum and dad taking laundry home and we figured out about day three actually we needed to, to outsource laundry. Um, <clears throat> but it was just, there was a clear demand for something like this in Christchurch. And we just saw the impact on people coming in. Like you'd see someone come in and like there was a few times that like, that just incredible experiences. Like one guy I remember coming in, he was he got off a motorbike, came in, he was a older guy with a beard, bit of a rough looking guy, and he hardly spoke through the intro. Um, and I was like, this guy, he, he's going to hate this. I was like, there's no way he's going to enjoy this. Had his float, came out, he was sitting down in reception having his tea afterwards, he sort of set up a tea and stuff for them. And um, he hadn't said anything. And I looked down, he was just like tears running down his face. I was like, and he came up, signed up for a membership and, you know, floated for the next year um I don't even know what was going on for him but I suppose that's what floating is it's like it's a space where you can go internal and yeah well it's, I'm just thinking it's it's like even for you and Laura right like it was it was doing the same thing but in completely different contexts you know mm. like and I guess that's maybe one of the good things about it is that you know you were using it to increase your performance on a rugby field and Laura was using it to help um I don't know, did process or deal with um, you know, an illness that she was that mm. she was going through, and then you brought it back here. Or Laura probably needs the credit by the sounds of it. Yeah, but I brought it back here, and um, and you've you've done you know you've built Cloud Nine, and so that's obviously going quite well. And so, are you playing rugby now? Not playing rugby? So I, I actually retired <laughs> my first retirement, but and this was part of why I was a little bit more unsure or more um, well less confident is because I knew I'd have to retire. Um, I, um, there wasn't an opportunity at the Crusaders at the time and I had opportunity everywhere else in New Zealand, but we had to be back in Christchurch. So I had opportunity up north and down south at Super Because the family had to be back in Christchurch. Yeah, just, we, ne- yep. we knew that Laura needed to be back around family yep. support. We'd yep. been away in Wellington and in Japan and for seven years and she wasn't well. And so like, we was like, we have to get back to Christchurch. So that was partially why I was, you know, a little, I didn't really want to finish playing rugby. I knew that I still had a lot more to give, <clears throat> but I did retire. And so we just did that full time. And then about six months into um, running the centre, Scott Robson came in. So this is the end of 2016. He came in for a float. And I saw his name on the booking in the morning. I was like, oh my God, Razor's coming in for a float. It's like far out, and I'd just seen the news. He'd been he coached the Crusaders next season, and um, 
he came and did his float. And if you know Razor, you know what he's like. He's just, yeah, he's a real character. It was good fun. And then just as he was leaving, he was like, I'm, um, we've just uh, got the head coach role of the Crusaders. I'm keen to have you back next year if you can. I was like, take me back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I re-signed with the Crusaders and ended up playing the next three seasons with the Crusaders um, and sort of managing the studio or managing Cloud9 with Laura while still playing full-time, yeah. Yeah, wow. And um, like was that a, like, again, we talk about serendipity, but like was that one of those moments in your life when you were just like, like this couldn't have been better? It, it was incredible. It really was incredible. I still remember. So th- that was the end of sort of string around October or something. So all Super Rugby had finished, Mighty 10 Cup had finished, and the Māori All Blacks were about to go on tour and Colin Cooper, who was the head coach at the time, found out that I was going to be playing with the Crusaders the next season. So he wanted to pick me in the Māori All Blacks for that tour in October and I hadn't touched a ball for nine months. And um, and uh, so I had to – but I had to have played a game in New Zealand that year to be eligible. So there were only two games that year. There was no club games. That was all finished as well. It was um, – it was – Tasman B versus Wellington B up in um, in Nelson, um, or Counties versus Counties B versus Northern B up in Auckland. So I, I was like, oh, I'll play for Tasman B this weekend. So I went up to Nelson and played 25 minutes for Tasman B um, to be selected for the Māori All Blacks to go on this tour. To we went to the States and Ireland, and I just I the, the, I just felt so uh, this immense sense of gratitude. To be able, I just remember like holding my boots, standing on the field, and being like, "I can't believe I'm doing this again." Um, and there was that was a really special tour. We played Munster up there. Um, it was actually a really cool clip of us. We presented a jersey to Anthony Foley, who had passed away as a head coach, a coach of the side, bit of a stalwart in Irish rugby. Um, and we presented presented a jersey to his kids pre-game, and uh, there was just lots of little moments through that tour that were just really, really special. And I was just. And I just felt so lucky to be playing again. It was really cool. Yeah. And so obviously rugby's then kicking back off again. What are you thinking about? Is Cloud9 just sort of doing its own thing? Are you still, is it sparked a fire in you to think about other things? Like, or are you just focusing on rugby? So we had a great team. So so Natalie was on board with Cloud9 then managing everything. And she's just fantastic. Like she's still with us today and she's just a massive part of O Studio as well going forward for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so having someone like her with Laura and myself, like, you know, supporting what was going on there was really important. But I don't know, My the wheels started sort of turning or the cogs started turning a little bit, maybe six months out of being in the day-to-day of Cloud9 and back in professional rugby and thinking actually there's a, there is a lot more out there than just floating that can support this type of thing. So the outcomes at what I was looking for as a rugby player, as a person and what Laura was looking for there's more than just floating there. You know, meditation was another thing that I was starting to learn a little bit more about. Yoga was another. Um, and so I started every tour I was on, whether it be in Australia or Canada or the UK or wherever, Japan, I'd go through every wellness, you know, space. I'd look at everything that was going on and just started to put a bit of a, a plan together around what we were going to do next because we wanted to create something that had a bit more on offer than just floating. And so... um that's when we started working on O Studio and ultimately um, opened O Studio in 2019. So about three years later. Yeah. So three years after Cloud Nine. Yes. Yeah. So you're traveling around the world. You're recognizing that there's more, maybe modalities, not quite rude, but service offerings that you can put together that can help a human being mentally, holistically, broadly in their wellness. Yes, exactly. It's sort of, you know, physical fitness is one thing, you know, but there is so much more in there. I, I like to sort of think it as like a holistic approach to well-being. And so it's, it's what how mental, physical, emotional sort of all package into one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I don't know, having somewhere that you can, that supports you, that you can step away from just the, because the reality is everyone's got stuff, hard stuff going on. I'm talking today, like, you know, we had some challenges the reality is everyone can relate to that because everyone has challenges. And I mean, the hardest thing you've ever been through is the hardest thing you've ever been through. And that was the hardest thing for us, but but if people are dealing with this stuff all the time. So having a space that you can just step away for a bit and that can support you then for your main priorities, we realise this is not the main thing for someone. Mm. You know, the main thing for someone will be their work or their family or their whatever it is that they're pursuing. But having someone that really supports that, mm. um, 
was yeah what we wanted to create. Okay, and so you know you say sort of like three years later we opened our studio, but like let's sort of like I guess unpack that a little bit because that's not as, as easy as a sentence to say, right? You know, so you, you recognize these other services. Obviously, you've got floating. You then have yoga, meditation. Our studio now also has like a relaxation recovery space and you've got the saunas and ice baths as well. So I guess somewhere along the line, you, you slide these collection of services could all be in one facility. So what's the next step? Yeah, well, that's it. So you've really nailed it. It's like we wanted to bring a series of different services and offerings that had one that had a little bit of history and a little bit of science and a little bit of sort of, um, you know, we didn't want to just throw something out there and say this can help that. So we did a lot of research on what what works and what doesn't. Um, but really we also understood that it was really the start of a different type of movement, you know. Um, you know, gyms turned up 50, 60 years ago when physical fitness became apparent in the market that it was an important thing to have. You know, looking after yourself physically was important and therefore gyms came in, you know this movement into holistic wellness is starting to become more understood. So we realised there were going to be other things that were going to come into, and what were they? Um, sauna and ice bath, when we opened, was no one was even talking about it, really. You know, it was really quiet when we first opened, but there were a few things going on overseas that I thought actually there's, even though there's, it's got an established history up in sort of Scandinavia and other parts of the world, it wasn't really... Okay, the understanding wasn't in the mainstream. So we sort of put that in there as a test. You know, massage, we knew that was, it was established. It has, you know, that same sort of outcome of relaxation and recovery. Um, Pilates and yoga, same sort of thing. You know, yoga had been around a long time. Pilates was making a little bit of a resurgence. So pulling all these things together um, was what we, want, what we wanted to create. But, you know, how to actually do it was, was another thing entirely. Yeah, so what is the next step? I mean, like the, you know, everyone's got ideas, right? You know, and, um, you know you, people daydream all the time about businesses and things that they could do. But for you, what was the, you've got these sort of group of services. What was the, the, the step next to then turning it into what we see today? Well, what was really important to me was that I didn't want people to think about it as a yoga place or a Pilates place or a float place or a sauna place or I wanted people to think about it as a place that they can go, can go to support their holistic wellness. And so I really wanted the brand and the way that we messaged what we were doing to not just be about the services, it's about what we're trying to, the outcomes that we're trying to get. Why do you actually come in? You know, you've got stress going on in your life, that's why you'd come in. It's not because you loved yoga or because you loved Pilates or because you loved a sauna. It's because you just wanted to feel better. You just wanted to be able to get into a place that's going to support you to feel better. And so getting that brand piece right was massive. You know, getting, you know, what is, what are we going to call this place? You know, you know, what, how are we going to message it? And how are we going to, what do the colors need to look like? What does the experience for a, for a customer need to look like in store, but then also online? So really thinking about the feelings that we wanted people to feel was really important. So once again, and this is not an area of expertise for me, so what I know is I, I need to work with good people. So we found some great people. So Tanya and Bianca from Attraction Studio, we started working with them around trying to build what the brand is about. Um, and, the, and the word O Studio, how that actually came up is a funny, it's a really funny story. It was funny to me, but... It was it was actually a mumble from me. <laughs> so we were talking about the space and what we wanted it to look like and feel like, and all these things around you know this balance, a place that we could create balance and strength and completeness and community, like pulling everyone in together. And and I was talking out loud about um, when people go through into the yoga studio, and I said when people go into the yoga studio, and Bianca heard me wrong. She was like, "Did you? What's the O Studio?" And I, because I did yoga, like mumbled, she was like, what's what's that? And I was like, what did you say? And she was like, you just said the O studio. And I was like, and it was just like silence. And everyone sort of knew because here we were talking about like bringing people together, you know, um, community, connection, strength, balance. Like that's what o, an O is, you know, mm. that's about, that's what the shape represents. So it was almost like a wow, we've found it, you know, and um, and so, yeah, 
what does O represent? You know, what are the feelings that we want people to feel? That's sort of started all getting built off the back of that. Mm-hmm. And so you start building that out, and then obviously you've 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 found a space to put it. You're looking for a space to put it. Yeah. So um, yeah, we found a space, um, and and so the welder in Christchurch there was it was sort of a a new development that was well a development that was being refurbished and. Um, some of the like having like-minded tenants was quite important. We know that people, when they do this thing, they want to get a juice afterwards, or get a smoothie, or go down for a coffee, or have something nice to eat. And so there was a, a collection of tenants that were coming in that were quite innovative and exciting, you know. And so it felt like a nice spot for that. Um, and so yeah, we we um, started working with them, and you know, got everything set up. Did you know what you were doing? Like, like is it, I mean, like, I mean, not not that this. I don't mean that in a, a in a rude way at all. But it's sort of like, um, you know, like the it was a it was a mistaken, um, you know, uh, she heard you mistakenly. That is how O Studio came up. You sort of like we found a cool spot. Like, is it sort of like? Does it did it feel like you were sort of making it up as you went, or was it sort of like in your head had you already seen what it was going to be, and you were just trying to figure out the the correct road to get there? I'd, I'd love to say we had it all figured out, um, but a huge amount of that, a huge amount of the sort of um, accolades should go to the team that we were working with. So, so there was a lady called Jess McKenzie, for example. She came and reads me late in the piece. We'd had the sort of floor plans mapped out, and and our studio was going to come a, become something quite different to what it became, and. Um, she just made a huge difference to the environment, like huge, the the physical environment. And she was just so particular around, she really understood. I think what I'm saying here is I knew what I wanted people to feel, but I had no idea how to actually create that. Mm-hmm. And she was the first person alongside Bianca and Tanya who just really got it and were able to take that really tangibly turned it into, okay, that's what that looks like. This is what that feels like. This is what that smells like. This is how that needs to. This is you just you need to change that wall from being perpendicular to have a slight curve because of, of the way it is. Um, and so she, they were fantastic. And I just, I don't know, one thing, um, Jason Ryan, who's the head coach, the, well, the Ford's coach from the All Blacks now, I still remember asking him a question about attacking, uh, attacking part of the game. And he said to me, Don't ask me, mate. I stay in my lane. And he said, Go and talk to Brad. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that was quite refreshing. Some people will try and pretend like they know what they're talking about. But he was like, this, I'm good at this and I know what I'm talking about here. And if you want to ask a question about it, go and talk to him and he'll help you out. And that's something that I've really tried to take on board with everything. I, I try and stay in my lane as much as I can. If there's an expert there, don't try and get 10% of my stuff in there just because of ego or because mm. I feel like I know better. So I really put a lot of trust in Jess um, McKenzie Bianca and Tanya to, to, to pull out what we wanted people to feel. Yeah. Mm. And so I guess it starts to man- or not manifest, but it starts to actualize into like a physical space. And, um, you, you know, are you, where are you getting this equipment from? Like how's it all sort of coming together? Yeah. So that was, that was really challenging, you know, like working through, you know, what sort of, where we're getting ice baths, where are we getting saunas, like how are we doing these float cabins? You know, there weren't float cabins like that. Um, there was a person who had a prototype in Auckland, um, and so we actually ended up. I got him to cut three off that prototype because I thought that'd be different. Like pods are like eggs, um, the float pods are like eggs that so you have a lid on top. Mm. Lots of people love them. I love them, but there's a, a certain period a po- part of the population that would feel claustrophobic being in something like that. So I knew we wanted something big and open, and so um, cabins was what we needed and. You know, he'd never cut cabins off this prototype before, so it was a bit of a risk and we didn't even know how to install them. And I was joining that up with um, the pump system that we'd used at Cloud9, which was from London, so we are trying to retrofit these things together. Um, you know, it was a bit of a mess really, you know, and we've paid for that mess a little bit too by having to redo things and change rooms and restructure things on, on site. But what it has, you know, those mistakes have taught us huge amounts for what, for every other studio that opens mm. um, in terms of layout and equipment and all sorts. So um, that was it was challenging, definitely. Yeah. And I think also like you almost like you mentioned before that you felt a bit naive going into it. It's almost like sometimes if you weren't a bit naive, you almost like if you understood the challenges that you'd face, like you yeah. probably wouldn't take it on, right? It's sort of you have to be a little bit naive to, to, to build something from zero 
Yeah. Like you have to be, it's a, it's a big swing, right? Oh, well, yeah, 100%. If I knew, well, that's a good question. If I knew now what I knew then, would I have done it? Mm. I'd love to still say yes because it's, you know, I, but at the same time, I just, I definitely underestimated everything. <laughs> and, I, and I'm probably still underestimating things. But what I do back, I back myself and I back the team that we've got and I back that, well, one thing, like, why not? You know what I mean? Like, why not? This is important to me. I'm seeing the impact firsthand that it's had on me, on my wife, and on so many people now that have come to Cloud9. Like, why not? You know, and so it was It's it was worth it. You know, I, I backed myself to figure out the challenges as they come up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's all you, all you can do really, right? It's like you don't know what the next day, the next week, the next year is going to unfold. You just got to surround yourself with good people, you know, do the best you can with what you've got and, um, you know, hope that you can work hard enough to make it all come through, right? Exactly. Yeah, 100%. And so what happened? So the doors open, like is it the same sort of response that you had from, or what were your expectations when the doors open? Yeah, so we, one core part of this was we wanted to bring in a couple of really key people. So Jess Smith was was really important. Um, for uh, She was just my favourite yoga instructor that I'd been to across Christchurch and I'd done a lot of sort of research on that. And um she was fantastic, just great with people, really, like if I was going to say this person suits or fits what our studio wants to to feel like, Jess is that, you know, she's a mother of two, she would, um, she she's from um, the States, so has a huge amount of, and a trained yoga instructor, she's been around for a long, long, long time, trained when she was 16 or something, but just has a great way with people, you know, she, she swims, she runs, she's very active, she played football over in the States, and she's just a very balanced person, and just a good person to be around, so... Um, I sort of once again really trusted her with this is how yoga needs to be done and one part that I was quite I really wanted is there was a lot of people like me who'd be too scared to do yoga for a number of reasons right down to just the name of a class you know like a vinyasa class or a yin class or a yin yang class or an ashtanga class like what are these things hatha you know like and it felt a little bit like I, you know, it feels, that was a little barrier. And so for me, trying to remove as many barriers as possible. So sitting down with Jess and really thinking, like, what do we want people to feel? What's what was the outcome of a, of a vinyasa class? And then what what's something that I think would suit our brand a little bit more? So we crafted a dynamic class. And so dynamic is sort of a combination of ashtanga and vinyasa, but it's a flow style class. Um, and you know, how do we want that language to be around the class? You know, instead of it being yin, we, we decided on mellow because that's what that's what it is. I mean, when people think, like, will I do a mellow class at O Studio? That sounds very different to, shall I do a yin class mm-hmm. at O Studio for most of the market? Mm-hmm. And it was the same with that sort of balanced class. It's an aligned class, so that's around sort of functional mobility and making sure that you, it's a gentle style of movement. Um, and that felt lot right. So landing on just the way that the services need to be felt mm-hmm. um, and then just really just building what that actually looks like in, in person. And so, um, you know, we tried to do that as well as we possibly could. Um, Pilates came in quite early as well because there was a bit of a movement towards that and just listening to our market, that's what people wanted. And so, um, you know, what would meditation look like? You know, what is the benefits of meditation? There was, there was lots of work that went into it, mm-hmm. but um, we did sort of figure it out as we went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what was opening day like? Did you think, like, I mean, you had a pretty crazy experience with Cloud9 opening. Were you sort of thinking, hoping it might be the same or different? Or Yeah, it's funny. Like, the very first class that was taught in our studio was taught by Rachel Hunter um, and half of the studio was, was, full of, uh, was full of building equipment. Like there was a door that we closed that no one could go through and we worked all day. And it was the day after the Super Rugby, the Canary Monitoring Cup final. Was it the final or semi-final? We just lost anyway, whatever mm. it was. Um, and so it was like I just finished. I was still playing obviously all the way so through. You played the night before? Yeah, the day before, yeah. The day before. And, um, and then we had this like we had 
20 people, all, all my friends and family just like and staff just madly rushing around the studio trying to prep for this Rachel Hunter class. She'd reached out to Jess because she'd done some stuff with Jess previously and Jess was like, yeah, we can we could do it at the studio. We'll get it all set up for you and stuff. And so we had, you know, 25 females come and do this yoga class with Rachel Hunter. I just remember sitting at the back and just being like, what is happening here? Like, <laughs> this is like madness. Rachel Hunter's teaching in O Studio. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was the start. Um, so another just absolute random thing. Um, like what I would say though, it was harder at the start for O Studio than Cloud9. Um, there were complications within it, like our pricing structures were complicated, our website was complicated, there were lots of little problems that were, were coming through. We had good numbers of people come through, but, you know, we'd have people who would come in for a month and didn't even know we had floats at the back, you know. And so just understanding the importance of educating people well and, and doing a good job. But what we did have was a good, a really good team and a good feel about the environment. And so people sort of stuck with us, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, tell us about the first year in business for our studio. Like, is it, is it, um, you know, is it a challenge? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it tough? Is it fun? Are you there? Are you away? Like, what's it like? I wish I could go back to the first year and do it again, knowing what I know now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we, you know, we had we'd had a thousand. Pe- I think we had a thousand people come through in the first month. I think it was twelve hundred people or something come through in the first month, and we didn't get any of their information. We had no sort of um, repeat sort of emails going out, no education given to them, no connection through phone calls, no. Um, didn't really know why they they were there or where they'd come from or you know what they were trying to achieve in the studio and so we just missed lots of opportunities when I say missed lots of opportunities that's purely business hat on mm-hmm. but chucking into the jumping into the customer's shoes we weren't really thinking about how we can help this person individually mm-hmm. you know why they they've, they've made their way here and they're after something I think it's our responsibility to try and understand what that is and then support them to get that outcome and so yeah. The, the new studios have the benefit of that, um, of us sort of learning the hard way of around wrapping, uh, wrapping a customer around an experience. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's the the, the best lessons are often the toughest, right at the start, yep. and um, and you learn those, and and then so you know, I guess I think you you kept playing rugby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you opened. Once again, we had a good team for Sam and Jess and Mac and Haley, and um, we had great instructors. There's that many Jesses around the studio mm-hmm. at this stage. Um, and like, this was another thing actually, like in the lead in. Um, so, my sister was in the UK. So, her husband and uh, he plays rugby too, actually, for the Crusaders. He played for the Crusaders. He played, ended up playing for England at the World Cup, actually beat the All Blacks in the semi final of the World Cup. So, Soph was in England um, and she had a business where she was doing sort of um, mindfulness and, and yoga in schools and meditation and uh, throughout the UK or <clears throat> throughout um, England. And so, in that lead in, I just lent on her a lot around this. And so, we would speak, you know, every few days, we'd be talking about what's going on. And we were, I was really looking forward to her coming back into New Zealand and doing this together. Um, and but yeah, so what I'm saying is I was still playing and we but we had a good team of people that mm-hmm. were working on things and I don't know, going back into rugby showed me how important systems were. And so a lot of the time that I was away from the game, I was building systems for our studio. Mm-hmm. Um what is harder, rugby or business? <laughs> like I don't know, I just Obviously, they're they're completely different. But you know, now you know you played rugby for you know nearly two decades professionally. You've probably had a better part of a decade experience in business. Is there, you know, is one are they the same but different, or are they? Yeah, they they are the same but different. I'd say, um, like oh, the way I'd answer that is like, what did I like about rugby? Uh, what what did I really like about rugby? What I loved about rugby was the connections with people. Um, one for one so great working with great people every day it's just a fantastic part of being a rugby player the second thing was um, I loved pushing myself you know I really loved like challenging myself to be the best I could possibly be as a rugby player the third thing was I loved um, helping other guys in the group especially through the back end of my career um, I could have gone elsewhere and played a lot more minutes but I decided to stay at the Crusaders and play you know seven games a season rather than 18 games a season and so um, 
I would have moved if I was really driven on just playing every week and pushing myself. But I just got so much of a kick out of helping our team improve and perform really, really well every week. Mm-hmm. And we had an obviously, you know, we were three years in a row, we won the Super Rugby title and great, great environment. And the, the fourth thing about rugby that I love is the strategy side of it, is looking at a team and thinking, how can we beat this team? You know, what are we going to do this week differently? Just a subtle change here can have this sort of result. And so those things sort of packaged together, it's like that is what I love about business. I love helping people. That's why I've gone into an industry like this. I love pushing myself. That's why you choose to go into business. You don't go into business to just you know, lie on a couch and kick back own, and yeah. have a holiday every day. It's because you, you, the challenge you know, of, of creating something new, of pioneering a space, trying to create something really awesome, you know, that's the challenge. Um, yeah, so working with great people, challenging myself, um, and and then the last one being that sort of what are the the strategic side of business? I love that. Like, how are we gonna how are we gonna build something that we can scale well? You know, what are the learnings that we can take from this and from that, and put these all together for it to to have the best recipe possible mm-hmm. to give someone an opportunity? And um, franchising came in a little bit later on, but. I, I the, thinking about helping or giving someone the opportunity to run their own business and and help be a part of a team mm-hmm. that's pioneering a whole industry like that for me is just like that's awesome and yeah. so I'd say as I do in a long-winded way business is like rugby on steroids it's like the best of rugby uh, but what I enjoy to rugby I've times that by a hundred and I, I get that in business and so I mean I'd love to get back involved in rugby at some stage because there's parts of the game that you can't replicate in business, but there's just so much more going on. There's so, there's so many more dynamics in, in, in business than there is in rugby. Mm. But from the sounds of it, um, it sort of seems like you're, you're getting the same fulfillment and joy out of business as you did in rugby. They're completely different things, but those four sort of internal values are still lining up and, and you're sort of um, satisfying them in a different, with a different means. That's exactly that. You know, I'm working with a great team. I'm pushing myself. I'm helping people genuinely mm-hmm. towards something that I really care about. You know, like, and this is what's cool for me with with Soph, who's running the studio in Christchurch, and we've got a close knit team here. Like, every time I hear a story about something that someone's just experienced through our studio or through Cloud Nine, you know, I, I just it's just like that is why we're doing this. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And when you're sort of one step removed from that, and you're you're constantly building systems and looking at the ways that the the in behind stuff that no one ever sees, like some people would never see me at our studio, and they're like, "Is he even part of our studio?" I'm spending hours and hours every day, you know, morning till night, thinking about how we can make this the best it possibly can be for people, and. It means that you you are slightly disconnected to the individual, whereas those conversations of someone's come in and they're dealing with this life challenge right now, and this is what they're getting from it. It's just that there is why that's what excites me about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's those sort of you say not not the coal face, but um, you know. But if you want the challenge, if you want to scale, you have to step away from that you know that customer facing stuff because you have to be able to scale it and so I guess we can talk about scaling it now so that you know where did the idea come from obviously you've talked about franchising now but you know when did you know that you thought there would be more O studios than just the one you built it was probably a year in six months six months to a year in um like once again, being forced to step away from the coalface by going back into rugby, it's sort of one step removed. It, it was the same, it's the same principles that I talked about before from going from Cloud9 to o Studio. So at Cloud9, it was a single service offering that was very capped in what it can do, but it was getting some great outcomes. What's the step above that? It's actually having more services that can cater for more people in a bigger space that, you know, you don't have to just love floating to be there. You can love it. You just want to get the outcomes. That's what we're creating. So that moved to O Studio. And then it's like, wow, only Christchurch is getting access to this. Only this small portion of Christchurch is getting access to this. How can we do that to more people? So it felt, okay, the best way to do this is through franchising, is through having someone who cares just like we do about doing this well in their communities. And how can we empower them to do that really well? How can they take all the learnings that we've all the mistakes that we've made, all the good things that we've made, and have the best opportunity for success. So they get to, they get control of their own lives, 
through running their own business, but they get that sort of fulfillment that we were seeing too. So it was quite early in the piece really. Um, but once again, I underestimated the work that go, has to go into doing that. And um, so it took us you know, two and a half years of of work just putting it all together. Just to figure out if it was franchisable or to get it to a point where you could franchise it. Yeah, so we we approached franchise consultants out of Auckland, um, great, a really great company, and did a sort of feasibility study on franchising and, you know, what would need to happen for this to be something that could be franchised and it was a long process really really smart people um and and then they sort of gave us an implementation plan we took that implementation plan and and tweaked it and did some other stuff with a consultant that was based in Christchurch um and you know he had huge experience in in franchising um um, uh, across you know a gym industry and a few other different businesses too and so really practical um, very hard nosed, sort of, you know, would tell very tell us very straight about what needed to be done differently mm. and what was wrong, what was right, and mm. um, so he was great. So once again, just working with with really good people, putting it all together. Yeah, and so you you decide to franchise it, and then you know, what's the next step? Um, so there's a few there's a few parts really. So one is building the models, so building like a model that people could test out to see what what this would cost to set up across a few different sizes and what the expected returns might be based on numbers of people coming in or numbers of memberships mm-hmm. and the split. So building models that people could, could assess, um, that's one. That's part one. Part two really is uh, all the sort of documentation around franchising, the franchise agreements, the whole legal package, I guess. You know, entering into a franchise arrangement is, is a big undertaking, you know, working with people it's a, it's a it's a it's a big business relationship so giving someone the tools to be able to really assess what we're about and what is a part of the agreement and so that they could pass on to their advisors etc all the documentation and then the third part really is is the operational operational manuals both at the franchisor level and the franchisee level you know for a franchise owner um, in Auckland or in Wanaka or in Takapuna wherever it is they need to know how am I going to get people into the studio what do I need to do to market this this brand or this offering as well as I possibly can to make sure we've got good people coming in. You know, what do I need to do with our sales? You know, what do we need to do? How do you run a float session? How do you test water? How do you um, do your roster? You know, what are your hours look like? How do you structure your schedule? What is your, there are just thousands of things that you want to be able to give someone say, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the start point. We can work with you to figure out how this works for you but this is what we have learned. And so the operational manual side of it was um, the biggest part of the build. It was probably, um, you know, we could we could outsource a little bit around the models and the financials because it's lawyers and accountants and all that stuff working mm-hmm. in there. But in terms of how you run the day-to-day operations, mm-hmm. that was all our IP that we'd built over the 18 months of running. Yeah, and I guess that's what, you know, that's the joy of franchising, right? I always think about franchising as like a, like a recipe book, it's kind of like you're, you, you know, you need to buy your own ingredients, but but you get the recipe book of how to make it. And if you think about a cake, you know, if you just gave me all the ingredients and I just, you know, was playing around in the kitchen, it'd take me, you know, probably months to figure out how to actually make something that was even vaguely uh, palatable to someone. But, you know, if you give me the same ingredients in a recipe book, you know, in an hour and a half, I can have the same thing. So I guess kind of what you're collating is that recipe book for people, right? It's it's your, your, your years worth of mistakes, learnings, you know, things that you've tried, tested, failed, things that have worked, and you put it all into one spot. And then you can go, right, this is what you should do. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that because the reality is the people that are getting into something like this, they've they have they've been in a business before, but it's nothing like an O studio. Or they've never been in business before. They've been professionals in their own areas and they want to get into something like this. So a lot of people are interested in this, but it's like, where do I go now? What do mm. I do next? What are the important things to know? What do I really need to be thinking about? How do I find the right space? How do I negotiate a really good lease to make sure that I'm I've got the best structure I possibly can within this business to give it a good chance of success? You know, it's, it's just there's lots of things that people need to do if they're spending good money on on setting something 
awesome up, you want to make sure that you've got the best opportunity to, to have good returns on that money. Yeah, well, one thing sort of listening to you, right, is that one thing you did all the way along is that you tried to surround yourself with really good people, you know, yeah. right from the very start, whether it was in rugby or it was Cloud9 or it was designing the brand or it was fitting out the building. You always tried to have yourself around good people. And I guess kind of that's what franchising is as well. It's like as a franchisee, you can sort of surround yourself with people that are knowing what they're doing, they've done it before, um, and then can, you know, you can replicate it with their help. Exactly. And and for me, it's like, what are, are good people? You know, and so for me, it's two things really that it comes back to. It's like uh, expertise is one part of it. So really understanding is crucial. Like actually, how do you market? Actually, what is an important part of a lease? Actually, how do you sell effectively? How do you make sure that a customer has a great experience? Like that's like intellectual stuff or stuff that you've learned through experience or actually learning. The other side of it is how does that land? Like how do you connect with that? Because you can have an absolute expert and it just never land with an individual. Mm-hmm. And they just so, so the relationship side of it is the other part of it too. Mm-hmm. So just being a really good person, you know, being a person that actually cares. Like any franchise owner that comes in to o Studio, I, I hope they know that I'll be doing everything I possibly can, <laughs> everything I possibly can for them to be successful. And what I hope is that they'll be doing everything that they possibly can so that their customers and the people that are coming into the stores get the best outcomes they possibly can. And that, that's, a, that's different. That's not just knowing what to do. That's caring enough. And so that's what I've loved about the people that we've worked with in building OSHA. They actually really care about the outcome genuinely. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, they, they want what's – the people that, that we work with, they want the best thing for us. Yeah. And, the, and I want the best thing for our franchise owners. And so, yeah, it's the, it's that balance between pressure or execution and IP and intellectual stuff and real genuine good people that care, that want to connect with people. Yeah, and you need <clears> both, right? You do, absolutely. And just, just to expand on that a little bit, like, because the reality is we're pioneering this, you know. Anyone that is a part of OSHA, we're creating an industry, we're creating something completely new that New Zealand hasn't seen and the world hasn't seen, you know. And so... Yeah, it's what we also want there is we want people that actually actually I want to I want to be a part of creating something different, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's a little bit of that that comes into it too. Yeah, and how, and how are you? Like obviously, you know, the industry is expanding. How are you finding? You know, I guess as you're growing into the industry or the industry is evolving to incorporate O Studio, how's that evolving in your eyes? It's it's yeah. What I can we've got fantastic franchise owners like fantastic franchise owners just that they are the people that I've just spoken about they care about the offering and they care about the outcomes they're they're genuinely passionate about wellness they want to help people and they want to be a part of a cool team this industry is changing like the wellness industry is growing significantly and just like I talked about earlier on around the fitness industry um, I don't know if you've seen the Anchorman movie um, and, he, and, and uh, he's, he's talking about this yogging. Apparently it's maybe a silent J and he was talking about how people just run for an extended period of time. But that's what it was like back then. People didn't actually know that you do things physically to in- improve your health. Like people are starting to understand that you can, there's things that you can actually do that aren't just about all about smashing yourself physically that help with your general health, you know, managing stress, improving your recovery, improving your general well-being to perform better in other areas of your life. And so, you know, people, I'm sure there's people that have seen things around breath work pop up around ice bath and cold exposure, heat exposure, and, you know, what the parasympathetic nervous system is compared to a sympathetic nervous system. You know, a lot of us are wearing sort of, um, you know, devices that monitor our heart rate or our, our heart rate variability and you know, how well we sleep and what's, what food can do to impact your performance. It's just you know, people are, this mark, this, there's this sort of interesting thing going on in the market where more people are starting to learn about this. And so what we want to be is when people think about this stuff, it's like, oh, O-Studio's got that covered. Like, O-Studio, look after that. Well, this this is what O-Studio do. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, we're not just a, a float centre, a yoga centre, a sauna centre. We're a place that people come because they know that we know what we're talking about, you know. They know that we're people who care for them and, and we've got the services that can get the outcomes that they're after. Yeah. Yeah, hey, well, I, I certainly agree. I think that the, you know, even if you look at, you know, just take one of the services, you know, you could you take any of them, but you know, like a sauna or an ice bath, you know, like the, the the way the world has 
uh, you know, the, the growth that, you know, like an ice bath has had in the last three to four years. You know, like if you started talking about ice baths five years ago, it was, you know, there was, but you can say most, you know, most people have had one or tried one or know someone that's been in one, you know, and, and there's all this, you know, you're constantly bombarded on, you know, with advertising and social media and all this kind of stuff. You're seeing the this huge influx of um, of cold water exposure and people like Wim Hof becoming incredibly popular. And so, um, you know, the tailwinds certainly seem to be uh, in favour of this industry. And, you know, as you've mentioned, it's, it's a pioneering journey, right? Like the, the road isn't paved, but as much as that's scary, it's also um, exciting, right? It is. It is. It's really exciting. And that's actually one thing I'm excited about this podcast. It's like uh, we're going to delve into that stuff. You know, we're going to delve into what, what is cold exposure and how can you use it? You know, why would I go to a place like iStudio to do that? Why is, is there a community here that I can do this with? You know, what does heat exposure do? And But even like getting someone like Sophie on and, and talking about, you know, grief, you know, these people in, are coming into iStudio because they're dealing with loss. These people that are coming into iStudio because they're dealing with huge life changes and, you know, we've got, we've got some real experts in this area that have been in this industry a long time. And, and yeah, so that's one thing I am excited about. This is like, we get to share some of that, that knowledge, some of that experience, some of the stories that we're seeing, and hopefully people can sort of learn along the way with us. You know, we're not perfect. We're not the source of all knowledge. And that's one thing I really do want to make clear too, is like, we're part of this journey with them. We're learning as we go too. Like we do everything we can to pull it all together and to, but, you know, we're imperfect. We're all imperfect, but we're on this journey towards, you know, feeling better. Yeah, yeah, feeling better. That's it, right? That's it. So as of recording, you know, December 2023, you know, where are we at? Well, so we've got um, so nine franchise locations around New Zealand. So in Takapuna, we've got Dee and Clay, um, fantastic, awesome couple um, who are, um, fit outs going on at the moment so it looks like a February opening and so working with her um, daily on, on you know this is what you're doing around your marketing your sales mm. and the fit out and all that sort of stuff which is really exciting just sort of working our way down the country so Auckland and so really close to finalising a, a lease on a really really cool site um, in Auckland so it's Jenny, Daniel and Ruben um, once again just great people that care about this industry um, and just awesome people to work with um, in Hamilton, we've got Brooke and Cam, and so they are still in that location sourcing stage. A couple of cool things have developed in the last week, um, but working with it, it's not just about, hey, here goes a business, go and set it up. We want them to get the best possible location they can with the best possible deal, so, so it takes time, you know. It's not about just opening up straight away. The Mount... Um, so Sal and Johnny, um, so they're based overseas at the moment. They're on their way back. And so once again, in that location sourcing stage, um, coming further south, um, we've got Tony and Michaela who have an option to move at the moment. So they're in Nelson. And so there's an option that they're sort of assessing at the moment, um, which will be interesting to see where they land. North Canterbury, so Josh and Jess, um, once again, finalising their location. They're working with some pretty cool landlords out in North Canterbury. And, um, yeah, top people, smaller format model. It's going to be really interesting. Christchurch, we've been operating for four years now. Um, and it's, it is getting hard doing both, you know, running a franchise and then running an individual franchise store. Is, there's a bit of tension there too. So, um, yeah, that's, that's going to be a, you know, a bit of a watch to space. And Rolleston. Um, so Rach um, and Lee, they're, they're at the same stage as D. really. There's sort of, I suppose, this sort of underlying race to who's going to be the first franchise open. And, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what, who opens first. And what I do know is whatever opens first, I'll be standing there right beside Rach or right beside mm-hmm. D and Clay and um, greeting that first person that walks through the door. So I'm excited about that. And then there's Wanaka. So Wanaka, um, that couple, Kane and Katie, they're overseas in Japan at the moment and um, and there's uh, an awesome spot that's just become available and so they're looking at that one closely at the moment too. So nine locations, there's a couple of spots, there's, there's a series of spots really that are going to be available in New Zealand over this, this sort of 2024 year. For us, it's not a rush though. It's not about opening locations. It's about finding good people that are in it for the right reasons and that want to do it well. So um, 
that's going to be a, yeah, 2024 is going to be an interesting year. Yeah, hey, it's exciting. And so, I mean, I guess that is the sort of O Studio origin story that brings us from, you know, you right through to where we are today. And I guess my last question would be, you know, if you were to, and I'm sure you've done this, if not daily, then probably at least weekly, you know, if you close your eyes and you think about, you know, we're sitting here 2023, if it was 2033 in December, and I was asking you to describe O Studio, what would you say? Wow. So 10 years time, how would I describe O Studio? Mm. What do you think it looks like? Like, you know, where is it? You know, what does it feel like? What's it done? Well, this may not answer the question that well, but there's a few things that we want our studio to, to always be, you know. And so one of those is that we are that one-stop shop for all things wellness and holistic wellness and recovery. So well-being and recovery. So we are the one-stop shop for that. So what does that look like in 10 years? Who knows? You know, there's going to be physical spaces, but there may be online spaces. There may be out, outreach that we're doing in the community that's off-site. There may be, but it is the one-stop shop for that. You know, that's one thing. The second thing is that every single time someone touches O Studio, they're one step closer to their best and whatever that looks like. So um, this podcast hopefully is a part of that, you know, that every single time someone gets to listen to something that's going on with an O Studio, that they're one step better. They've learned something, they've, they've improved in some way or they've felt better about something. Um, if that's any content that's going on online or that these events and workshops that they are a part of or it is that, you know, they're coming in as a part, as a as a member daily, weekly, you know, accessing these services. Um, in, in 10 years' time, what I do hope is that we're still getting the outcomes at a customer level right now that we're getting right now because that's it's we can never lose sight of that. It's always going to be about the person who walks up those steps or walks in that front door. If, if we do that well, then O-Studio has got a really bright future. If we don't do that well, then it doesn't. And so that's why it's so important to get the right people, you know. Um, you know there's, there's nine franchise locations and we're pioneering this space and building this together. Um, I'd say there'll be little tweaks and evolutions along the way, like any successful system, you adapt with the times. Um, but um, I'm super excited to see where we take it. Well, it's an exciting journey, mate. It's cool to, I guess, paint the picture and understand where it came from. The... Uh, the, the future is, um, you know, I guess is what we make it now, right? Like the opportunity's there, the market's there. Um, you know, there's there's something here and, I, you know, it's exciting for you and, and for everyone else that's involved. And so, look, I'm, uh, I appreciate the baton to host the first podcast and to, and to interview and understand it. And um, Well, I'm looking forward to flipping it back around on you at some stage down the line too, mate, because we've both got an important part to play in this going forward. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to see where we can take it. Me too. Let's go. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, there is one thing you can do to help us out, and that is to click the follow button wherever you are listening to this podcast. If you could do that for us, that would mean so much. Our purpose at O Studio is to make holistic wellness as accepted, as understood, and as practiced as physical fitness. If you want to join us on this journey, come and visit us at a location near you. Visit ostudio.co.nz for all the details. Own the moment. Thank you.